Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the program. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. It's Women's History Month, and tomorrow is International Women's Day. Our very special guest tonight hails from Canada. She is Josephine Lorray. Let's see if we can bring her on. Please hold and you will be able Josephine. to the show. Josephine, Hello? can you hear me? Yes. I can hear you. Yes. On, the, on my phone, I can hear you now. You can hear me now. Wow. Calling me? from Canada on your phone. You are a yes. trooper. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I should have. I should have tried the software beforehand. That's okay. Yeah, That's okay. I'm glad you're here. Hopefully okay. you won't break I, the bank. Hopefully you won't break the bank on your phone call. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I can hear you. Are you there? Can you hear me now? I can hear you perfectly now. Nice. Great. Sorry about this. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I mean, we're, you're calling from a distance. You're connecting from a distance. Things happen, especially on this program. I was sharing yeah. that it's International Women's Day tomorrow, and you it did is. not know this. You did not know this, Josephine, but you are. Quintessential Listening, Poetry Online Radio, International Women's Day honoree. You are international oh, wow. honoree today. <laughs> you. you are well, first um, honoree. <laughs> yeah. As I was preparing the list of poems to share, I thought I would share a poem that pays tribute to the women in my life who have influenced me. So, yeah. Well, fantastic. Well, let's begin with your poem, and then we'll go with the rest of the okay. program. Okay. Sounds great. So I wrote it a few years ago, and it's called Mother's Hands. And it's a tribute not only to my own mother, um, but also to my grandmother and my godmother and my mother-in-law. And uh, I guess I should back up a little bit. I'm coming to you from Calgary in Canada, uh, which is the ancestral and traditional lands that were inhabited and traversed by the Pekani, the Siksika, the Gainai, Nakoda, and Tsitsina nations. And I would like to acknowledge them and thank them for bringing culture, language, and poetry to this land. Um, my roots, though, are not in North America. My family comes from Sicily. So in some of my poems tonight, you will hear some Sicilian expressions. So I'm just going to give you a few that are in this poem. Mamma, of course, mother. Nanna is grandmother. And Pipina is godmother. Mother's hands. My mother's hands rolling dough to make gudareggi, Christmas cookies filled with mandarins and figs, almonds, Raisins, café. My grandmother's hand, my nanna, rosary beads slipping one by one as she said her nighttime prayers. My mother's hands, brown with dirt as she plants seedlings, snips stragglers so vines will grow strong. My godmother's hands, flipping open the book she gifted me, fostering this wonder of words. My mamma's hands, never at rest, 
plum jam to bottle, red peppers to barbecue and skin. My nunna's hands, knitting needles, clicking a code of wisdom older than language. My mama's hands, twisting wet laundry before passing it through the hand-spun ringer. My nunna's hands, using a broomstick rolling pin to create paper-thin sheets of tagliatelli and lasagna. My mother-in-law's hands, stuffing a turkey with the magic of sage and butter, apple and bread cubes. My pipina's hands, still in her lap in a turquoise apartment as she listened to me read my first poems aloud. My daughter, telling her friends about my hands. What collection of memories, I wonder, will these hands hold for her? Wow, that was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Let's, Let's go back for a moment. My very first question that I ask everybody what is poetry to you? Uh, for me, poetry is the expression of my soul. So I use prose to convey information and to communicate physical things. But when I'm in the realm of my feelings, of my intuition, of my fears and hopes and dreams of, of, my, of my soul, I think that's what poetry is. It's the expression of the soul. Well, why do you think poetry is important? There's a little twist on the first question. Why is it important? Yes. I think it has been important for as long as language has been important because of its ability to convey so much depth. It's not just the naming of an object. It's not just the telling of a story, but it's imbuing the imagination. Um, I I did a project once and I looked at the roots of poetry and poetry was a very early form when people wanted to tell story in the pre in the days of pre-writing poetry, the meter, the rhythms, repetitions, the rhymes, poetry allowed them to memorize and be able to repeat. So stories such as the Iliad and the Odyssey and Dante Alighieri's Divina Commedia, Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, those were told in the poetic form so that they could be memorized and passed on from person to person, generation to generation. But I I think the fact that we can write and we can record has not made poetry any less valuable um, because poetry makes us wonder. I write a poem and I put down certain words and then the way that the hearer interprets those words or if those words resonate within that hearer and they make a connection with it to their own personal life, I think that's the beauty of poetry. Oh, very nice. I love that. I love that. As you think about your work, your body of work, what are some of the predominant themes? Um, Well, I I wrote when I was a child, and a lot of them were nature-based poems. And then I moved away from poetry. I had three children in the span of four years. So my, Mm -hmm. my life was very busy at that time. Um, as my children grew up and I found that I had more write, more time to write, I came back and it would be a way to process my feelings and my experiences. Um, and then for, it morphed back into poetry around nature and my connection with nature. Um, poetry about my family, my, my roots, my Sicilian roots. I'm very interested in exploring the roots and how how my roots inform who I am as a person and how I see the world and what elements of my 
background and culture do I pass on to my children? Um, and lately I've been writing quite a bit of poetry around dreams and the effects of dreams mm-hmm. and the interpretations of dreams. Very nice. Now, as you think about your beginnings in poetry, was there a specific yeah. experience where you learned that poetic language had power? Where it had power? Yeah. Yes, and it wasn't actually even a poem. It was a story that my grade four teacher asked me to write, asked the class to write. She wanted us to write a short story about the autumn. And I wrote from the perspective of the tree who was crying to see the leaves falling to the ground and dying. And I remember her reaction. Like she she couldn't believe that this would have come out of a little eight or nine-year-old child. And I realized there that it was something that was creative and imaginative. So I would say that for sure. Um, I've always also, the fact that I grew up in a multilingual household. So my, my mother tongue was Sicilian. That was the first language I heard and learned. I learned Italian. I learned French because we had relatives living in, in Belgium. And then I learned English. So there's always been this dance in my head of, of one object having multiple names and the sound being so important. So I think that has informed my poetry as well. Oh, very nice. I enjoy listening to you already. Oh, <laughs> I really, really do. Grace us with a poem. Okay. Um, rhetorical question. I asked the universe. Now, it said no. Wait. Why not now? Why does the earth turn despite the sinking of the polar caps? Why do we see only the one face of the moon? Is the other ashamed by our travesty? Why do planets revolve around the sun? Why doesn't one break free to start its own trajectory? I would. Why are there nebulae, or is that a nebulous question? Why does mankind regardless of country and continent of origin, create tales to explain the relative position of the stars. Would I have a different Mm. zodiac if I were born in Southern Hemisphere? And why do their hands of time not run counter the way their water circles the drain? If I am who I am because of the hour and place of my birth, why aren't there more like me? Are there more like me? And why do questions seem more important in the dark? Why are we not oxygen-starved in winter when the leaves have left? Why can we not breathe in water? Why have we no wings? Is language a blessing or a curse? Why are these bodies so ill-prepared for life in the elements? No fur to keep us warm, no leather on our feet. And why are there no new mythologies? As you think about your poetry, who Mm -hmm. is primarily the speaker in your poetry? And what kind of person is he or she? Yeah, it's often myself. I don't typically put myself into another being or try to imagine a separate persona. So often it's myself reflecting and interacting with the world, with people, with, yeah, with ideas. It's yourself. 
Tell me more yes. about it being you, being you. Tell me more about it being you as you write. Yeah, um, I write to process. So I write to work out things that are maybe too difficult to understand in different ways. So um, if, if I'm going through a hard experience in life, mm-hmm. Poetry is a safe place to explore that. A metaphor becomes a safe place to explore that. Um, And, you know, when I was growing up, I never quite fit in. Like, I didn't fit in with the athletic kids or with the popular kids. I was academic. I loved to read more than anything else. And when I came back to poetry, I was in my 40s. And I remember going to a poetry reading and thinking, that's it. I have found my people. These are the, this is my tribe. This is, these are the people that I belong among. These are the people that get me and I get them. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> so when you think about writing a poem, how does it begin for you with an idea, a form, or an image? Um, typically not with a form unless I'm writing to a prompt or within a, a workshop. Oftentimes it will become it will start to become a poem based on a visual image, and then I will start to play with phrases. Um, so in the last few years, I've taken to using the record function on my telephone. Um, and one day I was walking, and it was, it was the end of, well, it was COVID, which is one thing, but it was also the end of winter, so you could really see into the tops of trees. And there were three crows. And I was thinking of the names of gatherings of birds. So I think it's a murder of crows but there were only three of them. So I started playing with that, and I wrote a haiku, and it goes something like, uh, three crows in a tree, not quite a murder, a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another, <laughs> another example was, again, this was post-COVID or, or after the start of COVID. I'd gone down to the river. I live quite close to a natural area in the south part of the city here, Fish Creek Park it's called. And I was walking along the river and snippets and phrases were coming to me. So I wrote down or into my phone, I I dictated those phrases. And then when I came home, I worked and I crafted the poem. So that's usually where it starts. Something, I feel that something needs to be said. And then I, I ask for inspiration for the words to come. Something needs to be said, and you ask for inspiration. That's such a powerful statement. Does it always flow like that? I mean, tell me more. Yeah. I I think for me, like people have told me, oh, you're so good or you're so talented. And I thank them, Mm -hmm. but I don't actually think poetry is something that I produce. I think poetry is a gift, and I am the channel. I think it it is a gift for me to be able to explore and create using language. And um, oftentimes if I'm reading and someone says to me, I really liked your poem or your poem means a lot to me, I feel that there has been success. And when we used to read live, um, people would come up to me and ask me, can I have a copy of that please? For my friend, Mm -hmm. for my son, or just to keep. And my answer was always yes. Um, I heard a speaker He's passed away now, but his name was Richard Wakamis, and he was a Canadian author. And he said that he thinks that writing is a gift, but it's only a gift if you're willing to share it. And that has stuck with me. Like, I see the truth in that. You know, all great writers have great writing influences, and it sounds like that gentleman was an influence on you. 
Who are some of your other influences, and what makes them what makes them great in your eyes? Okay. Well, the first one's kind of silly. When I was a child, I would go to the public library and take out the same book over and over and over again, and it was called A Rocket in My Pocket, and it was a nonsense book. And um, that was 50-some years ago, and I remember um, ladles and jelly jelly beans. I come before you, stand behind you to tell you something I know nothing about, and it would continue like that. And I was intrigued by the wordplay and the soundplay. When I got to university, I took a class in, um, in French literature, and there's a poet, Victor Hugo, Victor Hugo, who wrote Demain des Lobes. I'm just going to read the beginning. Demain des Lobes, à l'heure où blanchit la campagne, je partirai. Fois-tu, je sais que tu m'attends. So it's a poem saying that the following morning, at first light, he's going to leave. He knows that the person is waiting for him, and he's going to traverse all of this countryside and you feel like it's a very powerful love poem and then when you get to the end his last lines are that he's going to place on that person's tomb a a bouquet of flowers and then when you learn the story one of his children um, drowned unfortunately Mm -hmm. and she was with child when when she drowned and you realize this is the grief of a man who's going to visit his his daughter's tomb that blew me away, that poem by Victor Hugo. And another French poem um, by Paul Verlaine. And this one, it was more the sound. Um, il pleure dans mon cœur comme il pleure sur la ville. So the, the er and the e, like the er is like, for me, it's a very languorous sound, and the e is very strident, which speaks of grief and pain. So it's not just what the word signifies, what it denotes, but it's also the sounds that it makes. Um, another poet that I studied in university that I, I adored was Robert Frost. And I'll read just mm-hmm. some snippets from two of his poems. Two, two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler long I stood. And then the end of another poem of his, um, Stopping by the Woods. The woods are lovely, dark and deep but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. So again, the ability, the, the, the capacity of words to conjure, to evoke, uh, to enchant. That's always fascinated me. And, you know, some people, have, when they talk to me about my poetry, they talk about my passion. Like you have a real passion mm-hmm. for poetry. And I have to agree. Mm-hmm. I do feel a passion for, for poetry. Oh. All right. How important is emotion in your work? And it sounds like it's important. Tell me more about that, emotion. It is. It is. Because, um, as I was saying, I use poetry as a means of processing my feelings and expressing my feelings. Um, And a comment has been made, very kind comments, because it's nothing that I have purposefully set out to accomplish. But some people say to me that, my poems are deeply personal, but they're mm-hmm. also universal. There's a universal truth in my poems. And I think that's what, where the emotion is. And, you know, when I was growing up, I was very shy, um, which is funny because I'm a school teacher now, so I stand in front of a group of kids and talk to them all day quite confidently. Yes. But, <laughs> but I'm not shy about speaking my truth and exploring my emotions, even the hard emotions through poetry. So I think in a way it's, it's a balm, B-A-L-M, because it allows mm-hmm. 
healing. Yeah. Hmm. Do you think that someone can be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? Um, do you know, there's a lot of poetry that I haven't yet explored. There's a lot of poets um, who are who are more interested in form, so it's more like a visual mm-hmm. poem. Like it looks like the mm-hmm. typewriter or keyboard with the letters. So I don't know how much they explore emotion in those poems. And there's also, there was, for a long time, there was poetry which was really cryptic. And it was really hard to understand, and it ended up with people saying, I don't like poetry, as opposed to saying, I don't understand poetry. Um, and that happened for a long time. But I think what's happening now is, and I'm no expert on it because I'm not an academic, mm-hmm. but I think there's a lot more accessible poetry where the intention of poetry is not evasive. <laughs> um, all right, but all right. Actually, yeah. So that's, that's my, my opinion on that. Yeah. Well, can, I, can I read a poem? Like the next one that yes. I had lined up is actually <laughs> about, about feelings and emotion. Okay. So right. um, I was in a I was in a group, and the writing prompt was a poem which was produced. It was written by Leonard Cohen and then published posthumously, um, Into Panic. And the first words in his poems were, When I Wake Up Into Panic. And in the poem, he talked about tulips as well. uh, And it kind of reminded me a little bit of Sylvia Plath. Anyways, I wrote Mm -hmm. this poem after Leonard Cohen called Into Panic. When I wait, sorry, I'll start again. When I wake up into panic, my heart racing, my mind blank, I reach for your slender collection, the first book of my New Testament, open at random, certain that you and the nameless gods of revelation will know what I crave. Like a cigarette, I strike a match to your words, inhale deep, letting the burn light a path to my stone soul. Your voice gravelly smooth, like a hand sliding between silken thighs. Like tulips picked too early, set in a tall blue vase in southern window, I watch and wait for warmth and water to coax them into bloom. So in that poem, I was exploring my anxiety. (laughs) All right. Well, you know, it's so funny. As I listen to you share, what I hear is such strength, such power. What is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice, if there's a relationship? Well, yeah, there definitely is. Um, as I mentioned, English is either third or fourth in terms of the languages that I learned. And I think that yes. kind of informs me. And the other thing that – and I, I teach in a French immersion school, so I speak French most of the day. My, my mouth and my brain are oh, doing wow. French most of the day, not English. But I also think there's a relationship between the written poem and the spoken poem. So when I came back to poetry in my 40s, I would go to the open mics, you know, standing up there with my, I don't know, it was trembling more if it was a piece of paper between my hands or my voice. Um, but I felt the words needed to be honored, the words needed to be heard. And the words were very, very well received. However, when I started to mail out um, seeing if I could find publication, yes. I, I was rejected. And I was told to expect 90% rejection, and it was literally that. And then I remember conversations where I thought, well, perhaps I'm more a poet for the stage as opposed to a poet for the page, but I'm not a spoken mm-hmm. word poet. 
So there's all of that mm-hmm. interplay. But I have to say, lately, I, I seem to have figured out that publishing is finding the right home for your poem. So it doesn't matter how good your poem is, it has to be the right place. Um, and I'm more careful now about where it's been. Um, there was something else I was going to say. Um, poetry, spoken. Yeah, I find my, my, my voice changes when I read. When I read, mm-hmm. the last thing before I speak is the inhalation, and I try to inhabit the place that the poem is going to be read in. And I, I sometimes, in the, especially in the Zooms, I find that as well, that the, the person, the poet, is going to introduce the poem, I'm going to read you a poem about blah, 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 and then they start to read. <laughs> so I don't know if mine mm-hmm. is as big a distinction, but there definitely is mm-hmm. a voice in which I read my poetry. We could be twins. Because I believe exactly what you said about, in my mind, poetry is a lived experience. If you wrote it, share it in a way that is strong, that you believe in the poem. That, to me, is what's important, that you believe in it. And that sometimes it comes across in work and sometimes it doesn't. But we could be twins, Josephine. We really could be. <laughs> you wouldn't. Yes, you probably wouldn't believe how many poetry brothers and sisters I feel that I have. Like people with whom yes. I feel such a huge connection, and age doesn't matter, and gender doesn't matter, and none of it matters. It's just there is mm-hmm. for me. There is definitely a sisterhood and brotherhood of of poets who have a kindred kindred soul. Yes, yes. You know, when I think about poetry and when others... Oh, please continue. I'm sorry. I'm on a roll, but please continue. I'm enjoying this. Go ahead. (laughs) Okay, I was going to say that in my mind, getting my thoughts down onto paper is only part of it, but Mm -hmm. speaking my poem breathes life into it and makes it a living entity. So as much as I'm always pleased and honored when something gets published the greatest joy for me is to be able to share my poetry with somebody wow we really could be twins Uh, (laughs) some (laughs) some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature once it's out there there's not much you can do to correct or improve it while others edit meticulously not leaving much from the original draft form what is your take on it uh, I write the poem, and then I make a point of reading it aloud into my phone. And I find that as I'm reading it aloud, as opposed to leaving the work to my eyes and to my fingers, I change it. And I also find that the evening, be- excuse me, the evening before a reading, I will sometimes change the words. Um, in fact, that poem that I read about uh, mother's hands, I shared that poem yesterday um, twice, actually. I was in Philadelphia <laughs> at the Moon oh, wow. Center, and I shared, <laughs> I shared that poem there. And I also was in Cultivating Voices online, and I shared the poem there. And it was a slightly different version every time. Um, when it was published in 2019 or 20, I didn't have a stanza about my mother-in-law. I just had my mom, my my grandmother, and my godmother. But my mother-in-law belongs in that poem, so I added her. And another example is I had I'd created a poem. I was 
so pleased with it. I sent it off. It was accepted for publication. It was being published in, in England. And then I changed the ending, and I sent them an email saying, oh, would you consider this ending? And they're like, nope, we're happy with the way it is. But when I read it, <laughs> I read the most current edition. Um, I think my poems are going to keep evolving in that way. Um, a poem hardly ever becomes unrecognizable, though, from its initial. I have had poems that I felt that I couldn't finish, but I had good advice from a friend. Just He said, keep the pieces, and they might turn into something else one day. So I, I try to do that. Oh, wow. I am just in awe. You should see the smile on my face as I listen to you talk. <laughs> I can hear you it through your voice. really, really sure. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. Please share another poem. All right. This is a fairly new one, and as I said, I've been exploring the landscape of dreams. Another lullaby for insomniacs. You've been humming in my dreams again. That song we danced under Cassiopeia. Your hand in the curve of my constellation. When I still believed our souls to be seeking through time. In my land, Jack Frost blossoms windows. Whereas in your upside-down land, it's warm every day in December. Do Kansas geese paint their winged way across the canvas of your dreams? Are you there, Josephine? I'm here, yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, with technology, you never know. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> when there's a pause, you never know. <laughs> well, let's imagine for a moment. <laughs> let's imagine for a moment that a poem is like a cake. All right? Yeah. What do you view as being some of the most prevalent ingredients that go into the concoction or the cake we call a poem? Okay. Um, the, the impetus. So whatever caused that poem to happen, be it an emotion or an image, I think the, that impetus is really important. I, I tend to um, favor language as well. I want the sounds to be right. I don't typically rhyme on purpose, but I will integrate internal mm -hmm. rhyme, alliteration, Assonance. Assonance is the repetition of certain sounds. So as I mentioned in the French poem, the oohs can be like um, like a sadness. So the eyes, these sharp eyes, the e's can be grief. The s's can be smooth. The, wuh, the w's can be evocative. So the sounds for me are really important. Um, metaphor and imagery. And in fact, a metaphor sometimes saves me because I'm trying to write about something that is so difficult that unless I were to cloak it in metaphor, I couldn't approach it. Um, yes. Yeah, I think I think those would be my top three, plus whipped cream. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know, as you think about metaphor and poetry, has a poem ever frightened or humbled you? Yeah. One of your own. Yeah. Yes, definitely. And if, if you give me a minute, I can open it on my computer. Yes. I, I didn't prepare it for today, but, um, mm -hmm. yeah. And it's, I'll tell you, no, I I'm not very good at multitasking, so let me find it first. Um, well, what we can do is take a little musical break, and we'll be right back okay. and give you an opportunity to find the poem. All right. Sounds great. 
Okay, thank you. Yes. Wonderful, Josephine Lurie. Were you able to find the poem, Josephine? Yes, yes. Uh, how about if I read it and then you talk about it? Okay, should I read it first yes. and then we'll talk about it after? All right. Yes. It's called My yes. Night Town. Thank you. My Night Town. The last of the day's colors fade from the sky, and a hush of darkness falls like a cloak upon the earth, resisting the call and the comfort of bed. I pull on my great overcoat. Turn up collar against imminent chill. Burrow fingers deep into empty pockets and set off to walk the somber streets of my night town. I negotiate these moonless roads in solitude, contemplating all I had, all I've lost, passing the place where hope died and my ravaged heart lays broken still, barely beating among the debris and broken glass of betrayal, not a star in the heavens to guide me. I wander, retrace my steps to the sound of shallow breath, so hollow in my chest, knowing that the brightness of day was but a trick of light, and my real work lies here, bitter maze of memories. Only towards dawn do I allow myself to fall, exhausted, my soul worn thin, my soul worn thin, to shrug off the heavy overcoat of remembering and surrender to dreamless sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was the first poem I actually wrote when I came back to poetry. My, my marriage had oh, wow. in, in right. a very bad way. And this was my only yes. way to process it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Talk about some of those well, in my mind, well-chosen words, some of those phrases that you used. Um, tell me a little bit more about those. I think you mentioned broken um, glass, maybe? Yes, the betrayal, the broken glass of betrayal. Yes. The bitter maze of memories. Yes. The great overcoat. The great overcoat happened. I was at a poetry reading, and a, a man came in. And he wore his coat right through his reading. And I thought, what could you hide in the pockets of a coat such as that, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And then my ravaged heart lays broken still, barely beating among the debris. I I pictured my heart outside of my body, like roadkill, basically. Yeah, so again, this was a safe way to say I've been devastated and and I'm not sure that I can survive. 
Yeah. Right. I can understand why the use of metaphor is so important to you, to just be able to just get it out of your system in a way that's still safe for you. That's so important. That is so important. It is, yes. Yes. You know, I, when I was writing and in this stage of my life, I was in my head, I was writing towards a collection called mm-hmm. Writing Beauty and Truth. Because devastating things do happen to us, and there, yes. I find there's always lessons to be learned, but there's also a, a poignancy and a beauty in it if you seek for it, if you seek it, yeah. I know that your tagline, let me go mm-hmm. back to it, a pearl in this diamond world. Tell me about that. Yeah. Um, you know, I know that... My style of poetry is not for everybody. Like some people uh, label me a lyrical writer, and they say that um, lyricism is not the current trend. <laughs> um, all right, and all there's right. A lot of people, okay, there's a lot of people that excel in what they do, and and I think of them as bright diamonds. I don't think of myself as a bright diamond, um, but I think of myself as a pearl. A pearl is organic as opposed to mineral, and a pearl is developed around a type of injury or trauma. There's a a grain of of sand or there's something that enters the shell, and the oyster has to protect itself by creating Mm -hmm. this, and it's a luminescence and it's a softness. yeah, and so I like, you know, Nike has just do it, and I was thinking, what thing about myself? And mm-hmm. that's what I came up with. Oh, wow, I like that. You know, they say that to see the world with complete honesty, one should look to comedians, artists, and poets. As you think mm-hmm. about your work, what emerges naturally from you, Josephine? What emerges? Um, I'm not afraid to explore my soul and to speak my truth. Hmm. In a nutshell, <laughs> you're not afraid to explore and to speak your truth. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Nothing else needs to be said. <laughs> when you think about speaking truth, you know, so mm-hmm. much is happening in this world in which we live. Yeah. What do you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? Exactly that. Um, there, was, there, was, um, there was the Olympic Games in Vancouver, I believe it was, and they had Sean mm-hmm. Coison. I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. And he came on with a spoken word piece about what it meant to be Canadian. And I was not at home. I had gone up to... Um, a small mountain town and it was like a an inn kind of thing and the room was full of people to watch the opening ceremony the room everybody was stilled like all those you know folks in the back drinking their beers who really didn't care a thing about poetry everybody was just stunned and I heard the same I felt the same reaction uh, it's Amanda Gorman she read at mm-hmm. the last inauguration and I, I've yes. listened I believe my Maya Angelou also read at an inauguration and yes she did poetry has, yeah poetry has so much power I mean mm-hmm. when when poets speak people listen and the words ring within them 
And there is a truth which supersedes and goes beyond anything that we know, um, any kind of facts or half-truths that we can hear. There's, there's a succinctness in poetry. Something major is being said in very few words, but it's almost like magic because there's so much that's conjured. Conjured, conjured, conjured. There's so mm-hmm. much that's conjured, conjured out of, yeah, out of <laughs> syllables and sounds. Mm. Can I finish my next one? Y- yes, please, please. <laughs> okay, this one is called the smell of sawdust. The smell of sawdust on his clothes and in his hair and in his pores, the roughness of his hands, the breadth of his suntanned back the darkness of his eyes under lashes thick, she pale and fair, hazel eyes, auburn hair. He profound, his proclamations meant to be absolutes, she shrill and reigning over us nonetheless. The bathroom he built in the basement of our three-story house where so many rooms were just for company, just for show. He, my father, a deep pool, she, a rushing torrent, a thunderstorm, and she hurled words that hurt the air around our ears. So many things unsaid, stories we never learned until we were grown. Her mother dying young, leaving five children behind. Her father dead or gone away, rumors hushed. Her brother taking her in to work in his house. She, boiling water carried in from village fountain to wash the diapers of his infant child. The letters that my father sent, taken away, hidden by her brother's wife behind the mirror of the dresser. How she became betrothed to another, believing my father had forgotten her. How my father's father and my father's brother went to the house to ask why she wasn't writing back. Those were different times. When I asked why their love was never officially declared before my father left, to mine the coal heart of Belgium, I was told they were too young. He had no diamond for her finger, no gold, and their promise was to keep them until he could claim her as his bride. All of this I never knew, for I was but a child, but some evenings he would sit upon a backless stool in the basement of our house, smelling of plained pine, hands rough with work, fatigue, heavy on his shoulders, and she would kneel before him, lift his feet one by one from the basin in which they soaked, wash them, towel them dry, and he would look upon her softly. And I could feel, but still not comprehend, the ties that went beyond their words. Mm. That's um, a poem about my parents. Oh, wow. What moves you to write a poem, Josephine? What moves you? What's the core impulse for you? Um, something needs to be said. Okay. Uh, it's, it's funny because my, my children are grown up and moved away, and when they come visit me, yes. I show them where I've, been, where I've been published. So there's, you know, there's mm-hmm. a piece of my bookshelf that is the anthologies and literary reviews. And um, one of my kids probably... Connor, my second, said to me, um, 
you know, Mom, when you die, and I stopped right away. <laughs> when you die, your, your, your words are going to survive you. And, and I thought, wow, she's right. Like, this will be my legacy. This is what I will leave. And I'm, you know, I'm creeping up in years. I'm hitting the big 60 this year. And I'm thinking, this is my legacy. This is my life's work. This is what's been important to me. What has surprised you most about your writing, your poetry? What have you, what have you learned about yourself as a consequence of writing poetry? Um, that it's okay to be different from other people. As I said, when I was younger, okay. I didn't fit into any of those cliques. Yes. Um, also, also that I'm much braver than I ever would have thought. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially since COVID, the connections that yes. have been made across the globe because of Zoom, mm-hmm. I, I feel like diving in, like not just not just stepping into the surf, you know, and getting my toes wet, but I feel like diving in completely. Oh, I love the way you speak. I love the way you speak. Let's talk about your book, all right? Okay. I want to pronounce yeah. it correctly, but I'll allow you to do that. Uh, tell us okay. about your book. <laughs> it's called The Cowichan Series. So the backstory is I had met a beautiful, beautiful person, Patrick Lane, who's also passed away, and he had a writing retreat on Vancouver Island in the Cowichan Valley. And um, a friend and I decided that we would both go. The the workshop was canceled because of his health. But we already had tickets, and she was going to visit with her mom, and I was going to visit with my kids. So we decided to go anyways and do, like, a self-directed writing retreat. And we did. Mm -hmm. So we would have breakfast together and then go off and write and then join up for lunch and share what we'd written and then... Uh, go for a walk together and then write again and then come together for our meals. And and it was incredible. And um, I take a lot of photos. I'm not, I don't consider myself an actual real photographer. I just bought my first um, uh, lensed camera. So most of my photos are taken with my cell phone. But oftentimes if I can't find the words to capture a moment, I'll take photographs and use the photographs for inspiration. So I started to write some poems. Then open up a bracket, Um, a friend of mine who lives in Calgary was launching his album, he's a musician, and he invited a few people to listen to his album, create some poetry, and join him in his launch. So he would play a song, we would read a poem, and I thought that was a cool idea, I said yes. And then another friend, another Calgary artist, wanted to do a show whereby um, poetry would be put to music, and it would be danced. So she hired or she engaged dancers to come and interpret our music on a live stage to a live audience. So there were all these amazing um, correspondences and collaborations happening. And my friend, um, the musician, offered to take three of my poems that I'd written in the Cowichan Valley and put them to music. And I don't sing, but I speak them. And it turned out really well. And he looked at me and he said, do you have enough for an album? And I'm like, heck yeah. (laughs) So that's that's where it was born from. Um, That was the whole idea. Most of the poems were written on that that retreat. A few of them I'd written down in Waterton. Waterton is a national park um, 
it's south end of Alberta, and I think it continues into Montana as, with a different name. But yeah, they were mostly written in nature, those poems. Wow. So if you had to convince yeah. a friend or colleague to read your book, what would you tell them? Yeah. What would you tell them? Oh. I would say, what would I say about that book? <laughs> I would say, <laughs> uh, trust me and journey into a different place. Because the book is not just the poetry, it's also the photograph. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I have a piece from that book I would like to share. I actually, I chose two to share today. Yes, beautiful. Please do. Okay. Okay. Yes, so I'll give, I don't usually give. Thank you. I don't usually give much preamble. I feel sometimes the poem needs to stand on its own without the backstory. But the backstory for this was, the resort was, you know, had manicured lawns. And then at the edge of it was the forest. And one day I'd gone out walking and there was a shaft of sunlight and the forest was, I don't know if it was original old growth forest, but it had been growing for a long, long time. And I felt drawn and I thought, but what if I go into that glade and don't want to come back out because it just looked so peaceful in there. And I wrote this, this poem called Missing Woman. I could step off this path into the woods, use strands of silver from my hair as passage into fairy world, inhale the richness of the earth, learn the call of birds, wash my feet in morning dew, and as light deepens towards the mystery, lay my body down in bowers of sweet moss. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Please share the next. Yes. Let me find it. Sorry. That's okay. Should we take another short break? No, I've got it right here. Okay. And this one, yeah, this one ended up in the Cowichan series, but I wrote this down in Waterton. And just a little bit of a preamble, a friend of mine said that she and some friends were going to go hiking down in Waterton. Did I want to go? And my answer was yes. I, I, I don't hike with them. They, they, their speed and the way that they, um, they can navigate altitude way better than me. I run out of breath when I climb. So I thought I would just go and hike. So um, there's a beautiful lake in, in, down in Waterton area. So this one's called Secret. What secrets have you to share with me? Waves licking rocky shore. Mid-morning light, dazzling. Wind lifting hair. What stories have you to tell me? In this language heard only by the soul. My breath matching the rhythm of these wavelets breaking at my feet. Clouds stretch out like time, like cotton batting, thinning, then dispersing, hiding, then revealing the old bones of this land. What song have you to sing to me? Lyrics lapping, wind caressing, sunlight softly stroking my cheek like a lover, like a child. Wow. Do you think you were meant to be a poet, Josephine? Uh Uh-huh. I do. And the funny thing is, 
when I came back to writing, as I said, it was in my 40s, and I remember my excitement. Um, the first thing that was published was published by Haiku Canada. They published three or four of my haiku, and I was all excited, and I was telling my mom, and I was telling my older sister. My older sister, she's older than me by five years, and they remembered something that I had forgotten. They said to me that when I was growing up, all I wanted to do was be a writer. I didn't remember that. I, I remember my high school dream was to become a photojournalist and to travel and live among people and write their stories. Um, and then I kind of went sideways into teaching where um, my other dream was to be a university professor and teach literature. But uh, yes. I, I did my math and I figured by the time I got to that stage of my life, if I wanted kids, then I wouldn't be able to work because I'd want to stay home with my kids. So I became a teacher. I'm really happy as a teacher. But mm-hmm. the fact that my mom and my older sister both remembered that this was my childhood dream, is to become a writer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we're celebrating Women's History Month as well as tomorrow's yeah. International Women's Day. What yeah. does it mean to be a woman and a poet? Oh, I feel, I feel that women have always written poetry and I don't know if they've always been as universally accepted as writers as, as men have been, but mm-hmm. I think woman, I think woman as um, creator, nourisher, um, in touch with feelings, and so much of that just is aligned with poetry, so I feel that um, a lot of times the truth that I express is a truth which is grounded, like it's a capital T truth. It's a universal truth that I'm feeling. I also, like, mm-hmm. I, as I mentioned, I, I, I'm writing a lot of poetry, exploring my role as um, within my culture, my 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 Sicilian uh, culture, and also what it means within the context of the family that I belong to. And I see myself as a daughter and a granddaughter and a mother, and all of these interconnections are really, really important to me. Mm. Wow, we're we're almost at the end of our journey, and there's so much more I'd like to ask you. Uh, <laughs> but before we go, please share yeah. one more piece, please. One more piece. Okay. This one is called Forget Me Not. Forget not the haunting of Reshnikov, tower stark against tip bowl of stars, sidewalk diamond brilliant in winter, untouchable beauty afar. Forget not pre-matinal meander in the ivy-blue misting of France, la compagne bien avant l'aube, walking the Roman-built roads. Forget not the drunkenness of delight, l'insouciance, and how right we were then, how right. My waist in the space of your two open hands. I shall sit on the rocks by the water and comb out my long graying hair. You might call me Rhiannon or Psyche, but you would be mistaken, for I am none of those. I am all. With my silent song shall I summon sailors, soldiers to my door, watch them collide unencumbered on the sharp precipice of my shore. I shall pick up shells 
one by one, listen for lost echo of love. I shall open the oyster, drink deep the elixir, savor each pearl on my tongue. Forget me not. I shall ride the camel in cold night across caravan of sand. I shall bathe in moon's blue glow, singe your eyes, burn your hand. I shall pet the memory of each lover, stroke each tender head, watch the flick of tail, push each pad to see emerge and then retract the fatal claw. Forget not the entanglement of sheet and limb, the strike of match, the salt of body in heat. Forget not the clamor of heart unleashed, burst of amber and green in purple-black sky yet unseen. Forget me not. I shall pour oil into the canal of your ear as you twist and you turn in tempestuous sleep. I shall crouch and whisper my unspeakable name, crevice of night. Forget me not. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> Thank what you. piece of it, what piece of advice would you give to your readers? Any advice would you uh, give? My, um, should I assume that my readers are poets, or just that they're poet, poetry lovers? Either one, either one. Poetry lovers, poetry lovers, poetry lovers. Yeah, we are living. Right now, thank you to COVID, we are living in a time where you can avail yourself of so much beautiful poetry. Um, You can listen to recorded readings, you can attend live readings, you can subscribe to things like poetry.org and have poems flooding your mailbox. Um, Embrace poetry, make space for poetry, make space for imagination. In the past few weeks, I've heard so many poems in support of the people of Ukraine. Um, Mm -hmm. Through pandemic, there were so many poems, you know, speaking of our losses and grief, but also with the lining of of hope and optimism. Um, Yeah, embrace poetry and and seek it and create it if you can. Wow. Where can listeners find your work, Josephine? Where is your book available? Um, Okay. My book is available on Amazon in Canada. I'm not sure if it's available on Amazon in the U.S., uh, the Cowichan mm-hmm. series. The best place that people can learn about me is my website. It's a Wix website. And so the address is www.josephinelorraypoet, all one word, josephinelorraypoet.com. Um, and I can also find me on Facebook. <laughs> I, I think, all right. Um, yeah, I did Instagram for about five minutes in my life. I don't have time to keep it up, though. Um, <laughs> yeah. I show up to Cultivating Voices because I often read there. I read it fixed and free as well out of New Mexico. Um, there's quite a few different series that I belong to, but those are two that, that folks in the States might find easily. Mm-hmm. Well, what's next for you? Where do you go creatively? Um. I would like to keep collaborating. So I've worked with musicians. I've worked with visual artists who create uh, art out of my work. I've worked with dancers. I've, I've seen my poetry being interpreted by an American Sign Language person. 
I, I, that's probably not the right, right word, but did you know what I mean? They were they were signing yes. while I was speaking. Um, I, mm-hmm. I love collaborating like that. Uh, I'm I'm on I'm on the the board of Parkland Poets Society in Canada, and one of my roles was to edit pieces that were going to go into the uh, anthology, and that's really been fun. Uh, I would love to have a full-length book out, and that was my hope before COVID hit. But with COVID, I've only been able to do things like seven minutes at a time. I, I don't have that. I haven't had the ability to see something through. Uh, I live alone right. with my pets, but my children are far away. But I would love to be able to put out a full-length manuscript. Um, I do quite a bit of mentoring as well and encouraging, and I'm in a bunch of different groups with with other writers and prompts. Um, I mean, it sounds like a lot, but when I retire from teaching, I don't, I'm not going to consider myself in retirement. I'm going to consider myself transitioning to my life as a poet, and that makes me very oh, excited. Wow. Oh, well, I'm excited too. I want to thank you so much for spending time with us. Uh, it was a beautiful program. I enjoyed your work immensely. You're welcome back here anytime. Anytime you find a poem you want to say, just call me. <laughs> and you're back on the air. Again, Josephine, thank I want to you. thank you. You made my it's evening. wonderful. Thank you for listening right. intently, and thank you for, for guiding me through this. It's been an amazing experience. Well, I'm glad. Well, to yeah. our listening audience, this is Women's History Month. International Women's Day is tomorrow. Continue to celebrate the can celebrate women and the contributions to the world. I want to thank you all for listening. And as I share with you every week, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. All right. Good night, everybody. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.